You are listening to The Hemp Startup Journey. My name is Jason De Los Santos, co-founder of Spectrum Labs, a hemp extraction facility in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sitting down with hemp entrepreneurs, scientists, and politicians willing to share their perspectives, lessons learned, and how we can make an impact on the hemp and cannabis industry for everyone. Eloise, good morning, and thank you so much for joining me on the Hemp Startup Journey. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good, Jason. Thanks for having me. Great. So I practiced your name a few times, Eloise Thiessen. <laughs> um, really excited to have you. We spoke briefly the other day. I've been looking forward to this. And one of the main reasons, I, I can't remember how much we went into this last time we spoke, is that I... Uh, have a better understanding of uh, cannabis in the consumer side and in the production side. Uh, in the healthcare world, I, I'm not so clear on how people perceive you know, cannabis and hemp. And uh, so that, that's one of the main reasons why I really want to get your insights into just those conversations that happen uh, you know, in the back room when you're caring for a patient. So uh, thank you so much. I think I'm really looking forward to this. Great. Me too. Thank you. Um, so then one of the things that I like to start with is um, if you're at a party, I know this is the, the worst time to ask this because of <laughs> everything that's going on, but if you're at a, at a party or a, or a networking event and somebody says, hey, Louise, nice to meet you. What do you do? How do you answer that? Yeah, it's evolved <clears throat> over the years. I definitely in the beginning had some hesitation about admitting what mm -hmm. I do, but I, I tell them that I'm a nurse practitioner who specializes in cannabis. Okay. And it's either a conversation starter or it stops the conversation right there. <laughs> really? What's the percentage? Like what's the going rate of uh, acceptance and wanting to know more? That's definitely evolved as well. I would say it's probably 75% of the time people are intrigued and, oh, wait, you know about CBD? You know, that's generally what now the conversation will, will be about. Um, and then some people will go, huh? Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> change very quickly, very uh, quickly. Yeah. Okay. And so then the other question to start off with is um, because this industry just with cannabis in general and, and you know, with my even smaller niche with uh, hemp, uh, it's just, it, it's kind of crazy. And I always question why people got into it. So how did you end up in this space, you know, where you had so many different options with nursing? Uh, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. I mean, I didn't expect to ever be in this field of nursing. And it's still really, um, a, I would say, an evolving field for nursing. So back in 2012, um, I came to cannabis for my own personal experience and had such great success with it that I became quite curious as to why it wasn't offered by my clinicians. And um, you know, I ended up on so many medications and that was always their offer to me. Every time I came in and said, I'm, you know, I'm not getting any better. They would say, well, just take this, just take this. And um, I ended up in the emergency room with an overdose of um, what's called serotonin syndrome, which can kill you. And it's because you're on so many medications that block your serotonin uptake that it can put you in a coma and um, that was sort of the final straw for me when I re realized that, you know, what was being offered to me was just, they were, they were giving me the best that they knew, right? It was like, just try this medication, try this. So I just started to really dive into cannabis as a medicine and became really curious about it and then started meeting quite a bit of resistance from my colleagues and my peers and, and even my friends and family, you know, as to whether this was a legitimate path. 
Um, but because, you know, many people who come to cannabis and become extreme advocates have their own story, it sort of drives us to continue to, you know, help others and get the word out there. And so I, um, I started doing my clinical hours for my nurse practitioner in oncology because that was my background. And I just had patients asking me about it every day. You know, they were really curious. Is this an option for me? You know, I'm, I'm in pain and this isn't helping. And I just recognized that patients were really desperate for information from their clinicians and they weren't getting it. So I, I took that leap of faith and said, okay, I'm going to going to hang my shingle and, and see if people will come. And at that time in California, it was required for them to see a nurse practitioner or physician to be qualified for medical cannabis. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, I had quite a growing and booming practice for many, many years until legalization came in 2018. And then um, people just stopped going to see, you know, any kind of healthcare practitioner because it wasn't required. So now they've primarily just been going straight to the dispensary to get their information. And, and that's where I really hope to see, you know, nurses um, make a difference is by really helping to bridge that gap and, and increase, continue to increase the information and the validity of that information for consumers and other healthcare professionals. Yeah, that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, a couple of questions. One, before you uh, had that incident with, uh, you said it was a serotonin overdose. Mm -hmm. um, so what was your sentiment towards cannabis? Were you against it? Were you for it? I was using it already. Okay. Um, but just in, um, you know, I mean, I, you know, when I went to high school, I, I, I consumed quite a bit, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't afraid of it. Um, I just went into nursing school and, and took on this, this um, attitude of like, oh, well, cannabis is, a, you know, marijuana is a drug and, and, you know, I got drug tested. And so there were all these things that sort of led me to, to stop using it. And so um, when I, um, when I had my chronic pain, um, when I had my accident, I did have people trying to encourage me to use cannabis. And I was really, it took me six months to really say, you know what? Okay, fine. I'll try it. Um, but I wasn't, I was just kind of taking it here and there. I wasn't really using it as a medicine. It was just sort of like, you know, kind of throwing whatever things at the wall to see what stick would stick. And then when I had that overdose, um, I recognized that, you know, these medications were more dangerous for me. So I, I used cannabis to come off everything. I was on about eight different medications and went through some pretty significant withdrawals. It was a really, really, really tough time. I can see why patients don't come off some of these medications because those withdrawals are just so, they're awful. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it really, that's when I started realizing that if we apply this as a true medicine, I think we can increase our chances of success. Okay. Uh, so if we can talk a little bit about the, uh, the ACNA, the American Cannabis Nurses Association, uh, that is a big part of your life right now. And if you can just tell us in general, wherever you'd like to start, just what's the mission of the ACNA and uh, what do you do? Yeah. So actually ACNA has been around for 10 years. It's a nonprofit nursing organization with over 1400 members now across the United States. We do have some from the UK and Australia that have joined our organization. And our mission really is to uh, educate. We want to educate. We want to advance cannabis nursing excellence. And that's through education, advocacy, collaboration, and research. So we have um, 
really been a grassroots organization. And this year, um, I took over as president this year. And my role has really been to take us from that grassroots to a professional organization. And I would say one of our biggest goals is to provide certification for nurses who want to specialize in cannabis. And that's, you know, it's a very long and intense process. We started it a couple of years ago. Um, we've been working with the American Nurses Association, which is the largest nursing organization in the United States. And they provide that credentialing. And so they've been working with us. They actually have been very receptive. Um, they were really excited to learn about us and they were actually really thrilled that we're considering credentialing. Um, but like I said, it'll be about five to 10, maybe even 10 years before we can actually complete that. And of course, the biggest challenge and barrier that we have is the lack of um, evidence-based research in large randomized controlled trials, right? Those gold standards that um, healthcare professionals rely on for their information really la is lacking in cannabis. And I just did a presentation yesterday to the Oncology Nursing Society, which is a large nursing organization and on cannabis. And I'm always ready for their, their feedback to me of, well, we can't use that because there's not enough evidence to support it. And they're not wrong, right? But they really need to understand the barriers and why there's not enough evidence. And that doesn't mean that um, we can't still be evaluating the risk versus the benefit for some of these patients and their quality of life and, and to offer them something that's palliative, you know, that's gonna improve their symptoms with usually very little risk and very few side effects. Um, so just getting them to understand the history and the barriers and the challenges that we have Sometimes that helps and, and you know, then they become more open to cannabis as a therapy. Sometimes it's kind of just feeds their, their um, you know, their stigma and fear around it. You know, well, I can't recommend that. There's just not enough evidence. So, yeah. you know, I really would love to see um, our organization get more involved in, in research, but we're an, um, an all-volunteer organization. I'm a volunteer as the president, so it is hard. Um, to really um, get things going in a timely manner. <laughs> so yeah. You have to bring everything back to the board and the board has to vote on it. And so, um, but I think we're, you know, we've done some really great things already this year. We put out a position statement on post-traumatic stress, um, really urging the nation to um, consider cannabis for uh, treating symptoms of post-traumatic stress. I think, you know, looking at the pandemic and the mental health issues that we're all experiencing now, um, cannabis is one of the most, um, uh, I'm sorry, PTSD is one of the most common um, approved medical conditions in, in other states. So, and we do have quite a bit of evidence to support, you know, cannabis is effective for post-traumatic stress. Um, we're also going to put out a position paper on workplace drug testing for, for nurses and, and pretty much everybody. But again, just you know, some of these things that are out there that are really barriers to, um, for nurses and their barriers for patients, we really want to make a statement on those things. In regards to the, the, the evidence, um, what is it that, that the medical community is looking for? Because every day it seems like I'm inundated with, you know, here's a new study that was done or, you know, cannabis or hemp may treat this. Uh, and I know we're, we're not at the point yet where there's conclusive evidence, right? But there's a whole bunch of research. So what is it that, that the medical community needs to see to say, okay, like that, 
makes sense and I'm more comfortable recommending it? Or is it more of what you were saying that it's maybe just that part of it is the stigma of this being you know, an illicit drug? Yeah, I think it's both really, Jason. I, you know, of course they want the double blind placebo controlled trials and they want them uh, uh, large numbers of people. You know, we have some studies um, where we have 40 to 50, you know, participants and that's not enough for them. Um, but it's really hard to have a placebo of at least THC. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it has been done, you can do it. Um, you know, but it's, it's a little bit hard to, to <laughs> you know, I mean, I think you know when you're going to get THC. Right. Um, we also have the challenge, of course, of when these studies are happening in the United States, that the cannabis that we have to use comes from Mississippi, which is really, you know, mm -hmm. thought to be more like hemp than it is marijuana. So the THC levels are really low. They don't, um, they don't match what consumers are using in other states where we see sometimes 30% THC, um, products here at least in California we've seen that high and of course you also have the challenge of <clears throat> with the um, with the research is a lot of people don't actually want to participate in it so we have a good example would be um, pregnancy moms who are pregnant and um, you know maybe um, want to use cannabis for you know their hyperemesis where they have that extreme vomiting that can you know put them at, at risk of you know malnutrition and they may not want to come forward for a study because of the stigma. You know, they're afraid that that they're going to lose their baby. You know, they don't feel safe. They don't feel protected. I mean, we've just um, demonized cannabis for so long. I just, I don't know how we're going to get past that stigma. You know, we continue to portray cannabis users as negative in the media. You know, that typical stoner, that pothead. Um, you know, it's funny, ha ha ha. You know, we're not portraying these medical patients. Um, who are, you know, getting their lives back and going back to life and, and, you know, actually becoming productive members of society. And so I think that people just, you know, draw upon those old stereotypical stoner um, and in the medical community does as well. I mean, that's the, you know, the pushback that I get often is, well, it causes schizophrenia and it's a gateway drug and, you know, and on and on and on. And a lot of those, um, this have been just, you know, we've definitely been able to buff, bust a lot of those myths. But again, it's just like you can't, I don't know why, sometimes you can't undo that in some of these clinicians. It's just hardwired in them. Yeah, I can understand some of it. Um, before I started in this industry, it, what, my mom raised me to, to think that anyone that was using drugs was just a, just a bad person. Like she wouldn't say it outright like that, but you know, like just don't do drugs. It, it just leads to bad things. And marijuana was the first drug that I ever heard of. And so for my entire adult life, up until recently, I had that thought like, oh, well, um, when you, let's say when you do weed, when you smoke weed or whatnot, you're, you're just doing it for fun. Like that there's no mm -hmm. necessarily, that there's not a health benefit to it. You're just doing it because you want to waste, waste a few hours. Uh, but mm -hmm. I, I've seen that that's, sure, there are those folks that will do that. But uh, I guess in, in my world, uh, talking with folks that just want to get better in some part of their life, uh, that the fun aspect is just sort of secondary from my perspective. Um, so, yeah, I would I would push back on that a little bit and say, you know, we're encouraged to go out there and find recreation and, and pleasure and enjoyment, but when it comes to cannabis, if that's recreational or enjoyable, it's bad for some reason, right? Sure. So it's, you know, 
when I have some of my cancer patients who are so, so sick, you know, when we talk about that quote unquote high that can happen, you know, I, I like to explore that. Well, what do you mean? What's it mean to get high? Mm-hmm. And they're often afraid of being paranoid or hallucinating or losing control. But we talk about that euphoria and how it can be really helpful for them to explore um, happiness again and joy and feel more communicative with their spouse and less irritable. And, you know, all of these benefits that can happen that we tend to put into this category. It's like, well, if we enjoy that, that that's bad. Mm, so, yeah. you know, really trying to change the conversation around euphoria and how that can, how that can benefit your health and your well-being. Um, especially right now, but, you know, and people can, you know, they can chase that euphoria. So it is a balancing act and something you really, clinicians should really be following and making sure that, that it's, you know, people are using it safely and and not overusing it. Yeah. That's a great perspective. I don't think I ever thought about it that way, that uh, there's nothing wrong with feeling good. Right. Um, even if maybe for, for you as a person, you're not looking to heal anything, but maybe just to enjoy something safely, that that's, that, that's a good thing. And, and maybe just for our mental health, that, that could be a good mm-hmm. thing as well. Um, yeah. Learned something new today, Eloise. Thank you. <laughs> um, so let's uh, talk a little bit about something that's been very timely. We're in the, uh, the world of Corona right now, just with COVID-19 and coronavirus. Uh, we're in uh, the beginning of or middle of September right now. Um, and we, we just spoke briefly about this the other day. Can you talk a little bit about the correlation that some folks are making between uh, CBD specifically and coronavirus? Um, there was a shop near us, not too long ago, had a sign outside that pretty much said CBD can prevent or you know cure coronavirus or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which, yeah. So what what are you what are you hearing? What are you seeing about all this? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of well-meaning advocates in the industry that really want um, you know cannabis to be researched and taken seriously as a medicine. And we have, you know, research to demonstrate that CBD can help with immunity. Um, we know that our CB2 receptors in our body are primarily found in our immune cells. So we see a lot of evidence to support that activating those receptors can help decrease inflammation. We've also seen that cannabinoids can help with the cytokine storm, which is thought to be one of the um, biggest deadliest side effects of COVID-19. Um, None of this has been demonstrated in humans, again, so it's really difficult to take some of this animal research and try to apply it to humans. You know, you're not always comparing apples to apples. So I can see why people want to promote CBD or cannabinoids in general as something that can, you know, treat coronavirus or COVID-19. We saw this initially happening with some CBD companies, same thing online, they had their COVID-19 CBD kit that you could buy. Um, FDA got smart to it, sent them warning letters and shut them down. Um, And then we had some people in the industry that were um, actually trying to say, don't take CBD or THC for um, COVID-19 because um, there's, again, you know, the research is primarily conflicting most of the time. You know, does it cause... um, does it suppress the immune system or does it build it up? <laughs> you know, and so there was, and there is some um, evidence that THC can suppress the immune system. Um, again, we don't really know at what levels or how much or how often people are consuming it where we see these 
potential effects. So we saw some people in the industry that were saying, don't take THC, don't smoke it. Um, and now we're also seeing some companies, some biotech companies that are coming in with cannabinoids that are um, synthetic, that are trying to activate these CB2 receptors to see if it will help you know, with COVID-19. So there's some very early clinical trials happening. Um, you know, I would love, the thing that I always say to people is, you know, look, we deserve to have the research so that we can make informed decisions about this. Whether the research comes out and says, you know, CBD is not going to help with COVID-19, we deserve to know that and be able to make those informed decisions. The same thing about mothers who are breastfeeding or are pregnant and they've tried everything else and they want to try cannabis. They should know the risks and benefits so they can make an informed decision. But we're just, we don't have that luxury with cannabis. So uh, starting to get into that. So uh, can you talk about the nurses on the front lines? Um, So like I mentioned when we started uh, that I I haven't had very many conversations with nurses and how the conversations that you then have with your patients, people that you're treating at a doctor's office or or, uh, at a hospital, what um what what are those conversations like um you know how, how do patients come up to you and ask and you know and i would assume that a lot of folks uh total assumption that they would be maybe hesitant to ask you thinking that like oh maybe i'm doing something wrong uh mm-hmm. if i'm just considering it but just in general what what, uh, what can you say about the just nurses and uh, cannabis and cannabinoids yeah i think it depends on the environment so i mean i you know i when I was doing my nurse practitioner hours, I would close the door, you know, and be in the room with the patient and they would, you know, they would whisper it to me, you know, mm-hmm. what do you think about cannabis? You know, and I'd be like, I don't know who you're concerned about hearing this. <laughs> I mean, they were really, they were, they were kind of it's scared really to, mm-hmm. to say anything. And you could tell it was like, it was a big deal to say something. And, um, you know, so, and then it just got to the point where, you know, when I was in this practice that, um, I mean, word was out, you know, there's somebody there that will talk to you about cannabis. And it was just like, I mean, it got to the point where the, the um, people in the office actually thought I was promoting it, you know, like I had to have mm-hmm. a little talking to, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, like, Look. I said, your patients are using it. Trust me. Um, <laughs> you know, when I, um, I'm working right now as a palliative care nurse practitioner, you know, and uh, I had a patient the other day where I was like, oh, God, he would so benefit from cannabis. I have to walk this fine line where I, again, I can't be promoting it. You know, I need them to bring it up to me. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to see in his chart that he had t- tried a CBD cream. And so that was my opening. I said, oh, I saw you, you tried this cream and, you know, how did it go? And it was just like, the floodgates opened. I've got all these products, Eloise, and I've been trying them. And what do you think? And it was like, it was just like he found a, his unicorn, right? Um, and then we have, you know, when I'm in my practice, of course, people are coming to me specifically to talk about cannabis. So that environment is much um, more relaxed for them, much more open. And um, in other areas, a lot of the nurses are trying to start their own practice that focuses on cannabinoid therapies to give patients a safe place to come to, that they know that this is the goal, that, you know, what they're going to be talking about. Um, but in hospital settings, when I talk to nurses that are still in these organizations, um, it's very, um, I would say my perception is they feel very anxious about discussing it with the healthcare team. 
Um, you know, I have a, a patient right now who, and I don't remember if we talked about it before, but she's um, got a history of rheumatoid arthritis for many decades and then was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. And both of those alone can be very painful um, diseases. And now she's got these two um, and she's been in miserable pain and doesn't respond to opioids. Was very, very hesitant to come to cannabis. You know, would say things to me like, "I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be drugged or high in front of my kids." Meanwhile, she's on these very powerful opiates. You know, she's slurring her words with me. Her perception of, of pot versus these pain pills, right? Um, we got her on cannabis. She's doing amazing. She's come off of her opiates. She has to go into the hospital and get a bone marrow transplant for her multiple myeloma and they will not allow her to continue her cannabis. And these nurses are afraid to advocate for her because these, you know, because when people have an opinion about cannabis, it's very, usually very strong and very passionate either way, either mm -hmm. for or against. Um, so, you know, it, it's helping these nurses find their voice to become advocates for these patients is really important. Um, trying to present the information. You know, I always tell them, be curious with the care team. You know, I'm curious why why you don't think cannabis is a good option, you know, and, and trying to educate them so that they can come back with some quality research. I mean, the thing, you know, earlier, Jason, when you said uh, we were talking about the evidence, there is substantial evidence that cannabis is effective for chronic pain. But we don't, um, we don't encourage it. We don't, you know, we don't, most of the time patients have to choose between their opiates and their pain medication. Um, so even though we do have substantial evidence, we still don't have a medical community that will support it. So I, again, I don't know. I, it's, I'm, it's perplexing sometimes, like the stigma goes that deep. Yeah, and, and uh, one of the things that, that stood out from what you were saying there is uh, the, the great level of questioning because uh, people don't typically change when you, when you finger wag it. Right. And you say like, you're mm -hmm. so wrong and here's how you should be thinking about it. So the way that you post that question is just, you know, why do you think that this is X, you know, why, why do you think that this is a bad thing? Or why do you think that this person might, shouldn't use it? Um, and sort of reaching the door a little bit and trying to understand where they're coming from so that then you can adjust your, um, maybe your influence or, or whatever it is that you're trying to get across as opposed to just mm -hmm. trying to knock down a wall with your, um, saying it incorrectly, but like your almightiness about how you know so much more, uh, that, that yeah. will probably not convert anyone or even mm -hmm. have them consider it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, people can become sort of evangelistic around, you know, cannabis, because again, like I said, it works so well for people, then it becomes life changing. And then they're out there, you know, almost proselytizing, you know, yeah. um, and you know, people aren't going to listen to that. Like you said, I mean, you know, these physicians want, want the evidence um, and, and they need to have more of an open mind. You know, I think this is, we're seeing so many patients lead the change right now, you know, over the last seven years that I've been working with patients, um, I really, you know, they'll call me up and say, my doctor doesn't want me to use this. And I said, you need to advocate for yourself. Is it working? Yes. Then why can't you have it? And, and you need to put them on the spot about that, you know, and I, I help them do it in a, in a professional way so that, you know, and really coach them through that. And um, it's, it's been remarkable sometimes to see what happens when you empower patients to advocate for themselves, you know, 
Um, I wish that, you know, so locally I've had a lot of success with that. And that's why I think nurses can really, um, you know, that's why I really think nurses are going to lead the change in this because we can empower our patients. We can educate them and help advocate for them. Um, and I think that they can have those conversations with their physicians, you know, and I've, I've had physicians, you know, call me up and say, I've completely changed my mind about cannabis because of you, you know, you changed. I mean, I had this one young man who, um, was going through treatment for leukemia and the doctor called me up and she said, I'm sending everybody to you now because you gave this kid his life back. She's like, I, he is a different kid. And I said, I know, thank you. I mean, what a gift, yeah. you know, that she was willing to be open about it and collaborate with me. So it's, um, you know, that's the, the hard part is it takes a while when you're kind of doing it one person at a time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, it seems like um, the way that people either believe in the the possibilities at least right or or maybe even become an advocate is when the story touches them whether mm -hmm. it's that themselves individually or they had somebody close or maybe in, in the professional environment maybe it's it's a patient um mm -hmm. and it seems like until that happens like it's really hard for them to say like oh well that that was something else right like it was mm -hmm. it was just coincidence uh so yeah i can see how that could be really tough for that that story to get them especially if like you're saying some people are even scared or, or maybe really hesitant to just bring it up because they, they fear some sort of repercussion judgment early on it was i don't want to tell my physician he may not want to treat me anymore and like i don't you know i don't know that that's legal for them to drop you just because of your choices of you know wanting to use cannabis which is legal in the state of california um, it was medical for, you know, a couple decades. So, you know, giving them permission to talk about it and, you know, coaching them through that is, is really valuable. Is there anything that you think would, because it seems like the themes that keep coming up is uh, the stigma and not being able to educate people on a mass scale. Uh, and plus mm -hmm. we've, we've had this conversation for the past 80 plus years about how cannabis is just a bad thing. Um, so is there anything that would speed up the process so that people can at least have some sort of an understanding that uh, not necessarily that everybody should do it and like we should all be smoking, but just at least that, that there's an opportunity to help people with this. Like, is, is there anything that would speed up that process of people being able to understand? I think descheduling or, or re I mean, I would, I am all for descheduling the plant. Mm -hmm. You know, Epidiolex was descheduled this year. So, you know, the cannabidiol, FDA-approved cannabidiol was descheduled. And I would like to see if it's descheduled, you know, then that opens up the research. Um, and even if it's rescheduled, that will help with the research. If it was required education, just like, you know, nurses have certain education they're required to you know, have every year, every couple of years for their license, just like we have to have, you know, HIPAA training or sexual harassment training, you know, we mm -hmm. should be required to have endocannabinoid training. That's when it'll get to the masses is when it's becomes man uh, mandatory education. Yeah. Um, let's see, trying to figure out where to go. I still have a million questions over here for you. Um, <laughs> How about we talk about um, uh, hemp versus uh, THC products? Uh, we mm -hmm. briefly spoke about that last time, and you mentioned that this is sometimes a conversation that you have that uh, folks think, well, if I'm if 
if I, somebody has told me that I have to smoke weed, like that's my only option, but that might not be the case for folks, depending on what's going on with them. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes when people come to me with the emergence of hemp, they don't realize that hemp um, and, you know, cannabis come from the same family, cannabis sativa, and they think CBD is something completely separate. So there's a lot of times kind of edu- you know, first really diving into what do they, what do they want help with? Um, and looking at, you know, what are their goals and their symptoms? And then having that conversation about, you know, which cannabinoid might be most appropriate. And again, you know, helping, you know, usually the, one of the few conversations, few questions I'll start out with is, you know, what does it mean to get high? Um, to them and tell me now tell me why now that you're coming to cannabis you know was it a a family member that was pushing you to it that helps me determine how ready they are oh well my you know my daughter just keeps telling me I need to smoke pot and I'm just here to you know satisfy her well that person's not going to have success right right? Um, or you know I'm desperate I've tried everything else whatever you recommend Eloise I, I will do it you know that's somebody who's open and willing most people kind of fall in the middle where they're still sort of like, I don't know, I'm kind of scared. Um, So really having that conversation and educating them around, here's the different options you have. Here's the potential side effects. Here's the approach that we'll take. So building that confidence for them um, around cannabinoids and THC and and also presenting the research. You know, we have, um, we do have research that demonstrates, you know, THC is really valuable for most things. That CBD on its own isn't going to influence our cannabinoid receptors as well as it would if THC was there. So again, that entourage effect that you hear about, that synergism of the different cannabinoids, um, and having that conversation with them, so that they, you know, they're getting some some education to help them make informed choices as well. Like, yes, we could try this, um, and here's what I've seen success-wise, and here's what the research and evidence shows. If you want to start there, we can, but I also think this is a better option for you, and here's why. Um, and just, it usually is a shared decision. You know, sometimes I can educate people all day long, and they're like, nope, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> right. You know. Um, now, are there, uh, is there a common or, or maybe most common recommendation where you say, here's where you can consider hemp? as opposed to cannabis, does that come up? Yeah, I mean, here in California, you know, when I f- first started in this, you know, the hemp industry was was um, was kind of, it was chaotic, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of trust or faith in hemp products because of the lack of regulations and testing and um, the industry has really done a good job, the hemp industry of cleaning itself up and there's a lot of really great players now. And there's great ways to assure that the product out there is clean and safe. In California, um, when regulations, when legalization went into effect, we actually didn't have regulations either. So I didn't have a lot of confidence in cannabis products as a clinician because there was no required testing. Um, People would test it, but they'd also test and they'd be full of mold and it could still be sold. Um, it could be full of pesticides. It could still be sold. So I had to do a lot of research on companies, both cannabis and hemp, before I felt confident that these products were safe for patients. And now where a lot of times hemp may be a better choice is one, if somebody's out of state 
they're in a state where they don't have legal access to medical cannabis. Um, if they're in a state like California right now, we can't sell hemp products in a dispensary. So there are lots of CBD products in dispensaries, but you're subject to, you know, 45 to 48% ex or, um, taxes, depending on the city and county that you're in. So um, it can become very cost prohibitive for patients. And when I know that here's a hemp based CBD product that's clean, um, the test results are good and it's half the price, that may be where I'm gonna offer it to them instead of a cannabis um, CBD product. Um, and sometimes, you know, we really do need those THC levels to be incredibly low or maybe even, you know, a broad spectrum where the THC has been removed. So it's, it's nice to have options like that. Um, right. We're also seeing some companies come out beyond CBD now, like CBN, CBG, cannabinoids, which of course kind of falls into this gray area of mm -hmm. legality, uh, Delta-8, uh, THC. So it, it really does open up access for people who are in states where either there's no medical program or maybe there's a medical program, but their condition doesn't qualify them. Yeah. What do you think about Delta-8? It's <laughs> a, been a big topic of the past few months. It has been, huh? It's getting uh, a lot of, um, it's getting a lot of attention. I mean, I've had the um, pleasure of working with it here in California through some, there's a cannabis company here that makes a Delta 8 product. It's a, subling, a sublingual tablet and also a uh, like a capsule tablet that they make. <clears throat> there's um, some research that goes back decades out of Israel with Dr. Raphael Meshulam looking at Delta 8 for nausea and vomiting in chemotherapy patients. It was kids. Um, but he had 100% success rate at preventing nausea and vomiting in these um, pediatric oncology patients. So, you know, looking at that research is when I started to get curious about Delta-8. And I do use it a lot in my cancer patients who have um, not responded to the traditional pharmaceuticals for nausea and vomiting, or they're, they're still kind of queasy or whatever. And I see about 85% of the time they have a good response to Delta-8. Um, it is less likely to be um, impairing than Delta-9 THC, so they tend to tolerate it pretty well. They don't have a lot of, you know, psychoactive effects that they can get from THC, Delta-9. So I have limited experience with it. I am concerned about, um, you know, Delta-8 and even Delta-9 THC in some of these hemp products because that 0.3% THC at dry weight, when it is you know, made into a concentrate, that THC level in some of these products that are like 100 milligrams per mil of CBD mm -hmm. can have two to four milligrams of THC in it. And that, if somebody takes that entire dose, that's impairing for most right. people. They're going to feel, you know, some euphoria from that. So, um, and I just read this morning that there's some reports of um, people marketing CBD, but it's actually really THC cannabis. Um, so, we're, wow. you know, again, those, those THC levels could be all over the place and these sure. consumers who, who are uneducated are, you know, going to have a, an interesting day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Surprise. They're going to have a, a big surprise. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, did the article say, was that because the company was doing it on purpose or they just made the product incorrectly and they had too much THC? Uh, I think it was intentional. I, oh, I think it's a, a way to get into the, you know, it's, it's essentially, um, I mean, gosh, when I first started doing this, you know, I talked to patients all over the world, you know, mm -hmm. and they'll call me up and, and 
and they will sometimes be like, um, so I'm growing these tomatoes. And I'm like, it's okay. There's no one on the line, you know, like giving them permission not to be paranoid. Right. Um, uh, and so, you know, and sometimes I'll talk to them and I'll say, um, and they'll finally say, okay, okay, I'm, I'm using it. Okay, great. Where are you getting it from? And I will find these websites, Jason, where they're selling these cartridges of THC that you can just purchase right online. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, where's this coming from? What's in it? Um, so a lot of that is happening out there. Um, and, and, you know, it is intentional. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they get away with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's crazy because you figure it, it's one of those things that if you're so blatant about it, that at some point you're going to get caught. But I guess right. maybe they're, they're not very risk averse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they don't really care. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you were, um, you became an entrepreneur, not necessarily on purpose, just, you know, accidentally. Uh, just wondering if mm-hmm. you have anything, any, any problems to be solved, you know, in your world with nursing and just, you know, cannabis, is there something that if you could snap your fingers and it would be solved, like it would just make so many, uh, so many people's lives better very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, it comes back to that descheduling okay. of cannabis. You know, it's um, uh, banking is really hard. When I opened my practice, I couldn't get a bank account. Mm. Um, you know, finally, you know, was able to get a local bank to allow me to open a bank account because, you know, I'm like, I don't touch the plant. Um, the American Cannabis Nurses Association was shut down because we have cannabis in our name. Um, so our, you know, our banking services where we just take membership dues from our members, um, you know, and, you know, the, I have to report people like this because in my opinion, it's discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not doing anything federally illegal. It, you know, the barriers that are there around it being a schedule one drug and being federally illegal just continue to trickle in all areas. Um, and I just would love to see that, you know, federal, that schedule one status changed, removed, you know, and, and it's likely it'll be rescheduled than descheduled. That doesn't mean we don't want it to be descheduled. I would love to see um, patients empowered on how to grow their own medicine and make their own, you know, balms and tinctures if they need to. Um, it is so expensive right now, now for them to explore cannabis as a medicine between, you know, seeing a specialist and having to pay out of pocket for their consultation and the cost of, you know, the medicine can be really high. You know, sometimes these tinctures are $120. Um, so really, you know, trying to, if it was covered by insurance, it would be great. You know, oh, it yeah. can't be because it's federally illegal. Right. Um, so I just, I want patients to have the same access to cannabis medicine as they do other other options. Okay. And so then uh, starting to wrap up here, make sure that we leave enough time for your, for your next event. Um, what, um, what's next for, for you or for ACNA? Like what, uh, and also added to that is what, uh, what are things or projects that you could use help with for folks out there? Mm-hmm. Well, ACNA is going to have its second uh, conference this year in December and uh, it will be virtual. December 6th through the 8th and we're really excited to have this opportunity to educate as many nurses as we can out there. Um, We're really focused on 
working with other nursing organizations like the mental health nurses, the, you know, pain management nurses, the oncology nurses, we want to collaborate with them so that we can help educate their members. Um, and really, you know, the more that we educate nurses, the more it's going to help patients, right? Because then we can meet them where they're at and help them determine, you know, if this is the good, the right choice for them and how to go about it safely and effectively. The organization um, definitely needs volunteers. Again, we're an all-volunteer organization, so um, when our members come on, um, we do ask them if they want to be involved in committees. We've got some great committees that, that we have right now. We have an advocacy, um, diversity, and inclusion committee. We have a policy and government affair committee, and we obviously have the conference committee. We have our credentialing committee, trying to move again towards getting cannabis nursing credentialed. Those are some of the things that we really need. Um, we need to hear from nurses who are out there in the field doing great work. Um, you know, a lot of us for many years kind of worked in silo because we were also nervous about letting people know what we did. The ridicule that I faced from my colleagues was, you know, I was called a pothead and a drug dealer. And, you know, and, and I would always make this joke of like, yes, some of those things are true, you know, <laughs> it's uh, but it, it doesn't mean I'm not doing great work that you can't yeah. take seriously. <clears throat> so, you know, hearing from people out there that are doing this work and, and encouraging them to come out and share their experiences. Um, you know, we need to be talking to our local politicians. Uh, we need to be writing to Congress. Tomorrow I'm gonna be meeting with the CDC to talk to them about, you know, cannabis as an option for pain management. You know, they. When you, they put out a call and said, you know, we're looking to hear from clinicians and patients and caregivers about options, you know, alternatives for pain management, alternatives to opiates. Um, so anytime you see that, I encourage people to start getting out there and, and letting your voice be heard. Um, it, it takes a while. I mean, locally here where I live for the last four years, we've been going to city council meetings to try to really, you know, get cannabis accessible accessible in our city and you know finally after four years we we got through but it's just like it's just constant like yeah. showing up doing the work um and being you know as much of an advocate as you can is um i think strength in numbers still really goes a long way right and uh from what you mentioned a second ago um it, well, I guess you're, you're really big on education that you've mentioned that so many times you really believe in that <laughs> you believe that that will make a big change in lives of so many people. Uh, so educating the medical community. Uh, is it fair to say that I'm just thinking about somebody that would have an op opposition to, to getting some sort of an education from, from you or an organization like you, is it fair to say that just because you're educated about cannabis and healthcare, doesn't mean that you're going to be recommending it or suggesting it to everyone. Is that right. accurate? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, think about like, again, it just, it helps you direct patients. I mean, I think about how, you know, as nurses, you know, we are trying to see the big picture and help patients navigate, you know, their disease and their symptoms and provide them with resources. So somebody, you know, came to me and I was a surgical nurse and said, I really want to consider cannabis, you know, after my surgery for pain management, they could say, actually, here's a resource for you. I'm not an expert in it, but this person can really help you. Um, just like we would give a referral if you came in and you're like, my joints are all swollen. Well, I want you to see a rheumatologist. 
right? I want to see cannabis specialists that are part of the system that we refer people to. Um, it, the endocannabinoid system is incredibly complex. You know, people aren't going to take a course or two and be experts in it, but at least they can feel some level of, of you know, confidence of like, okay, I understand that, that, you know, this can work as a medicine and I want it to be an option for my patients and here's where I want to send them. Um, that's what I would love to see happening more and more. Yeah. Great. Um, and Lizzie, so taking the left turn here as we're wrapping up. Uh, so I would imagine that in your line of work, there's a whole lot of stress. Like there's just a lot of tension, you know, whether someone uh, is, is deathly ill or whether someone just has a whole bunch of questions and just feeling that. Uh, but then on the other side of, of educating uh, the public, right, uh, legislators and people in your communities, um, how, do you, how do you handle that stress? Like do you, get, do you go to books? Do you go to movies, music? Like, is there anything that you're consuming and any of that that helps you kind of keep it together? I don't do a good job of it. I mean, that's the, that's the truth of the matter. Yeah. Um, when I am in a good place with it, walking is really helpful mm -hmm. for me. So exercise really helps clear my mind. And I do have some books that I really look towards because I think um, being in an industry that is typically from the, at least from the medical professionals seen as kind of a joke and, you know, people don't take you seriously or they make fun of you or they're always pushing back and kind of giving you a hard time. Um, I look to some books that really talk about leadership and how to mm -hmm. be a good leader and, and how not to take things personally and how to, you know, stand up for what you believe in. So I, I really resonate with things like that, that help me kind of, you know, get more courage to go out there and, and, and be okay with people not liking what I do and, and making fun of me and, and pushing back and, and trying to focus on the patient. So often my patients are what lift me up. I mean, I got this email just a couple of days ago from one of my patients and it was just like, it was exactly what I needed. You know, he was just thanking me. He was like, I'm so glad you're out there. You've changed my life. Um, no one else would really listen to me. So getting that kind of feedback um, does fill me up and keep me going. That's great. Regarding the books, do you have any standout favorites or something that you've read recently? I'm a big Brene Brown fan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she has uh, a couple books. The most recent one is Dare, um, Dare to Dare. Lead. Okay. I think that's what it's called. Dare, I, I, yeah, I remember there's one Daring Greatly, but then is there a Dare to Lead as well? I haven't seen that one. I think, is it? Let me just check really quick here. Yep. Dare to Lead. Dare to Lead. Okay. Yeah. And she has the gifts of imperfection and, um, you know, really, because I think, you know, you hear a lot from people talking about imposter syndrome and, mm -hmm. you know, struggling with leaders. And she's a researcher, you know, she's a social worker. She's also a PhD researcher on, you know, shame and guilt and vulnerability. So it's really um, been helpful to get that perspective and, and, you know, look at her research where she's, you know, um, interviewed you know thousands and thousands of people on this subject and and to really take that incorporated into what i'm doing has been incredibly helpful okay cool thank you for that recommendation um and i guess we everyone in the that's working in the cannabis and the hemp industry i guess we, we could be seen as leaders or we, we could look at ourselves as that because really it's still a relatively small industry compared to, mm -hmm. to others out there and we're uh, especially in, in hemp uh, we're sort of firsts right like pioneers mm -hmm. in this thing and it's really important how we portray ourselves to the public 
uh, and yeah. how we're communicating to folks because that will have a lasting impact. You know, it's like that, that first impression people will remember. Mm -hmm. So how, how should we behave in selling our product or services? Uh, that's really important. And I think that's just from what you said, I, I would encourage folks in the industry to, to consider the, themselves as leaders and how do you want to, mm -hmm. how do you want to leave a mark in the industry yeah. for everyone? Um, so I'll put that book in the, in the show notes. Um, and then, Hey Louise, so, uh, how, uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, uh, or reach out to you or learn more about what you do, where should they go? Uh, they can go to my website. It's radical, R-A-D-I-C-L-E, healthcare.com. And there's options there. Um, I do still do patient consultations a couple times a week. Um, if someone's out of state, I do an educational informational consultation that talks about, you know, um, the diff you know, how to pick your medicine safely, what you should be worried about, drug-to-drug -drug interactions. Um, here in California, I take them on as a, as a patient, a provider-patient relationship. Um, there's also options to explore our education that we've put together. We've, uh, my business partner, Timothy Byers, and I have put together education modules for nurses and other healthcare professionals. It's self-paced. It's online. Um, we've got some really great content there. We also do a monthly webinar um, that's free where people can come on and learn about, um, you know, different subjects. Last month we did um, cardiovascular disease and cannabis because mm -hmm. the American Heart Association came out with some negative publicity around. And, and you tend to see this a lot too in the media, you know, smoking pot causes heart attacks and, mm -hmm. you know, all of these heart risks. So we, we went over the research and we talked about what was valid and what, where we still need to see more research to, um, in, in certain areas um, and that's our radical community and you can sign up through the website if nurses are interested in joining the american cannabis nurses association it's cannabisnurses.org um, and you can read about membership there we're just about to launch our new website in the next couple of weeks so um, that's really exciting and you know if people want to take any sort of college accredited cannabis courses uh, I do teach for Pacific College Health and Sciences, and they have a medical cannabis certificate program. And it is eight college credit units, um, and you get a certificate at the end. And it's a very um, intense program, but it is, um, you come out of it with quite a bit of knowledge around cannabis and clinical applications. That's great. And do you have to be enrolled in a degree, or can you take just that class? You can just take that that certificate course. Okay, mm -hmm. great. That's a great option. Okay. Um, well, uh, Elise, is there any final thought uh, or ask that you want to leave people with? Um, I, you know, I think it's really important that we, you know, that we try to work together as an industry. I think that's really important that we listen to each other. I have so much to learn from the manufacturers and the growers and the industry, the, the lab testing professionals. <clears throat> and I would hope that, um, you know, as nurses or healthcare professionals come into the industry that we collaborate and that we work together for the better of the patients and the industry in general. Great. Um, it's a great place to end it. Uh, Eloise, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for what you do. And uh, hopefully we can get another show here and do a part two. Thank you. So have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. 
Hey guys, and before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day. Thank you.